today we are talking about worship. Uh, some of you heard that and you're thinking, Jeremy, this isn't for me. I don't like to sing. I'm not creative. Uh, I like just the message portion. Do we have to talk about worship? Well, he, here's my hope today is that you get a biblical vision of what worship is. Uh, maybe you thought before worship is the 90 minutes we spend together on Sundays. <laughs> maybe you thought worship was the three songs we just were singing together on Sundays. <laughs> Uh, but today I want to talk about truly biblically what is worship um, and, and what does that mean for our life. So first let's pray. Father, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, it's truly a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As today as we open up your word, uh, we know you're going to speak to us. So we just posture our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us today in the name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. John chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be John chapter 4, verse 20. Jesus is having a conversation with a woman, uh, if you know this story, a woman at the well. It's in Samaria. Um, It's a powerful, powerful chapter. But I want to read the end here, this kind of the, the last part of the exchange he has with this woman, who's a Samaritan. And she says this, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. That mountain is Mount Gerizim. Jesus, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. This was a common, so, so Jews and Samaritans, there was cultural and racial tension. They, they didn't uh, really see eye to eye on really anything. In fact, one of those areas was, was the place of worship. They're like, we worship on this mountain, but you, you Jews say worship in the temple in Jerusalem. So she brings this up. And then he says, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. He's referring to himself as a Jew. He was coming to save all of humanity. Aren't you grateful that Jesus came to save humanity? Amen. Yet a time is coming and has now come. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So he talks about this idea of worship and that we must worship in spirit and in truth. And what he means here in this moment is he tells her is that worship is not confined to a physical location. Worship is something that comes from our heart. That really what worship is, to put it in a nutshell, is worship is love expressed. And he's saying in this moment that you're getting caught up of where to worship, and I want to talk to you about how to worship. And this whole idea of worshiping in spirit, he means that that as followers of Jesus who have the spirit of God on the inside of you, that we are called to worship. Let me put it this way. In fact, write this down. We, you, me, all of us are actually created to worship. If you want to break down what's your ultimate purpose, it's right here. Like if you don't know anything else to do with your life, you're called to worship. It's what we're called to do. And I want to break down because it's far more than just sing three songs on Sunday. That we're called to worship. We're created to worship. But here's what he's also saying. Because she was caught up in the place and the time in which you worship. Here's what worship also. Listen, worship is not merely a moment. Worship is a lifestyle. 
And we're going to talk today, okay? So spirit means, and if you're a follower of Jesus, by spirit, the spirit of God's in you. He's created you. We are called to worship. And then by truth, he means according to God's word. So we're going to look at God's word of what does it mean to worship? How do I worship God? And point number one is this. It's to worship God. It looks like surrender. Surrender. You could also use the word submission. The word for worship Jesus uses in the Greek is the word proskenal. Proskenal means to bow down to one who's superior. If you were to give, if I were to show you what proskenal looks like, it would be me lying on my my face here. But I'm 40 years old, and that takes some time to get back up, so I'm not going to do that. Come on, somebody. Anybody else? These knees don't work like they once did, okay? So your boy's not going to take up two minutes to, to go down and get up. But you got the picture. Proskenal means to lay prostrate. It was common when someone of royalty would come into town, they would, they would proskenal. They would lay down. And he says in this moment, what he's communicating is, is remind us, I am the king above all kings. That you bow down to royalty and I am the Lord of all lords. And proskenal is how we worship. We, we bow down. In Exodus 4, to give context of where this, this scripture comes from, God sends Moses, if you, know, if you know Exodus at all, you know Moses has an encounter with God in the burning bush. And then he feels call, he's called to go back to set the Israelites free. So he basically has just communicated to the Israelites, the Jewish people, that, that God's going to free you from slavery. And here's verse 31. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them, they had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped him. That word there in the Hebrew is the word to have reverence or deference, to bow down. You know, it's commonly if you, in the New Testament church, in the early church, uh, in fact, you even read some of this in like Corinthians, Paul talks about this, they would lie down to pray. And it comes from this idea, even this whole idea of kneeling and praying, it comes from this. It's physically representing what worship is, it's surrender, it's submission. So what does that look like in our life? And let me just say this. The Jewish people, Exodus 4.31, they bowed in surrender in response to their salvation. And we as followers of Jesus, we bow in surrender in response to our salvation. Can I get an amen? It's like, oh God, you saved my soul. I'm not going to have to taste eternal death. All of my sins are forgiven. Therefore, I surrender and I submit my life to you. It's a natural response. As we'll see, worship is a reasonable response. What's that mean practically? Because I always think when you hear something like that, what's that mean for tomorrow when I get up in the morning and get ready for work? Exodus 23, this is the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Of course, they had little g gods, idols. And maybe you read that and you think to yourself, well, Jeremy, that's no longer us. We're not worshiping Baal. Uh, we're not, we don't have these false gods. But may I submit to you in 2023 in the United States of America, I think we do have some cultural little g-gods. I think we do have some idols that we have in our culture. D.L. Moody says this, that whatever you love more than God is your idol, is your little g-god. So it can differ for every person. Uh, Tim Keller wrote a great book on this whole idea of idolatry. If you ever want to read more into this whole idea, it's a great book. He says, idolatry 
means turning a good thing to an ultimate thing. It means turning a good thing, uh, your job, money, your children, a relationship, into the ultimate thing. You know, I think cultural idols, we have many of them, and, and this is all individual. You know, you, if we went around the room, and may I submit to you, I think we probably all have an idol or two, maybe several, that we are prone to worship, that we are prone to make the center of our life. I think three common ones I, I want to share with you, in fact, Tim Keller talks about this in his book, are three common cultural idols. Number one is work or success. Would anybody agree with that? We idolize success. Uh, have you ever had that thought of like, man, if I just get to this level, if I just earn this degree, then I'll be content. Then you get there, and you, you're like, this doesn't feel like I thought it would. Let me say this. Our cultural idols always overpromise and underdeliver. <laughs> man, once I get to that level, then you get there. Once I get to the next level, then you get there. I'm at the next level. <laughs> Second one is money or wealth or possessions. You, know, you have that thought, man, once, once I, and, and I found as for me, as you get older, and it's always that next thing, it's like, man, once I, man, once I move into a, this house, once I get this car, once I don't have any debt, and, and it's, it's always the next. And then lastly is relationships. I mean, culturally, we see this in a, in a perversion manner of, of sex. How many would say that that can be an idol in our culture? That relationships can take center place in our life. I've shared before, probably the idol that I am most susceptible to, I've shared vulnerably, is work. I love to work. I really do. Uh, you know, years ago, if you were to ask me, Jeremy, what do you do to relax? I said, I work. Uh, what do you like to do on the weekends? I like to work. Come on. And listen, how many of you know, it is also... It's also God's will for you to work hard. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Not that there, there's some, there are some veins of thought that, you know, hard work is still biblical. Six days, he says, you, you, you work. You work hard. Um, but remember, when a good thing becomes the ultimate thing, it's an idol. And I remember years ago, I used to, I used to work as a psychologist. And when I first started my career, I started having some success early. And what I started to do in response to that was go into work earlier and leave, and leave work later. Now, in and of itself, again, a long day work is, it's, not a, it's a good thing. It's good to work hard. But I began, here's how the good thing became an ultimate thing for me. I began to skimp on my time with God. And I began to skip out on time with God. Now, please hear this, because I don't want you to mishear me. This isn't religious. It's not saying, well, I've got to make sure I have my 15-minute devotional. No, it's a posture of the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the calendar reflects. Out of the abundance of the heart, your bank statement reflects. Can we get real? So for me, it was that work was becoming, you know what I found? You know what I noticed right after that started happening? I began to lose my peace. I began to experience more stress. Why? Because peace would not come from me having more success. Peace comes from the presence of God. So maybe that's you. I know it's a big one here in the D.C. area. You know, we were ranked a few years ago as the most overworked city in America. Come on, our sports teams can't win, but we will work, people. <laughs> yes! 
get a t-shirt, 2022 world champions of work, you know? But, but I've seen in my years as pastor, relationships is a common one. I've seen people who, man, they're on fire for God. And then they meet somebody. And that dating relationship begins to, that, that passion begins to dwindle. May I say this if you are single or dating? Look for someone who pushes you forward in your relationship with God, not pulls you back. Uh, because the most important relationship you'll ever have is with God. Uh, and the best thing you can do for your future marriage is that they also are pushing you forward in the things of God. So somebody right now, just pull out that phone and text them. It's over. Send. <laughs> Try to help you out. In all sincerity, and I don't mean this to, to be heavy, but I've seen people make decisions, and that's, it pulls back. In my, my 12 years of, of pastoring, 11 years, however long it's been, and I want to I caution us. I've also seen people who, man, they were praying God for a baby. And then that child becomes the center of their world. May I say this as a, as a parent of three? Listen, children are a blessing from God, but he remains the center of our world. Um, and I felt this as a parent, maybe any parents in the room, or maybe you felt this before. Culturally, I, and maybe it's always been this way, but I feel right now as having three ch- young children, there is a pressure to have your kids in like an exuberant amount of activities. Any parents feel that? It's like Monday night soccer night, Tuesday night swim practice, Wednesday night Girl Scouts, Thursday night piano lessons, Friday night foot drills, Saturday games, Sunday games. I'm like, help me, Lord. <laughs> right? It's like, when do they sleep here? Uh, <laughs> and, and so Christina and I have had to make a decision where we're like, Man, we're going we're gonna to have a cap. We're going to have a boundary on how many activities our kids can be in. Because there's a couple things we want in our life. Number one, we want, we want to have family dinners. Number two is we want to be involved in our faith community. And we've even told, even recently, I'm not saying this to, about Jeremy and Christina, but we've like, our kids have games on Sundays. We say, we're sorry. Like, we're not, our kids aren't doing that. And you're saying, oh, Jeremy, you're saying that because you're a pastor. No, I'm saying that because I want my kids, can I say this? I say it humbly, and, I, and I'm saying it gently. It's no condemnation. But I would rather have my kids in the presence of God than on any field or court. Because at the end of the day, they're going to stand before King Jesus. Like, and that's what matters at the end of the day. Like, and, and I think for, as a parent, I want to just encourage you. How are you modeling this? Again, it's not religious. Please don't hear that. It's heart. It's heart. So here, here's what I encourage you. How do you prevent idol worship in your hearts? Is you put up guardrails. Say, I'm not going to check my email before I talk to my Father in heaven. Uh, getting some accountability in a relationship to say, hey, can you, can you hold me accountable to make sure this relationship doesn't pull me off to the side? You put limits on your lifestyle so you can keep God first in your finances. That you intentionally put governors and limits around your life so that you can keep God first. You know, Joshua and Joshua 24, 15, what was happening was a lot of the Israelites. Now watch this. They had seen God part the Jordan River. They had seen God take down the wall of Jericho. Now you think there's no way these jokers are going to turn away from God. But they were. And that's what he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I remember growing up, my mom had this across our doorway. Anybody else got that in your house? 
But here's what Joshua is saying. Listen, if you want to go ahead and follow those other, other gods, go and do so. But as for me and my house, we're going to keep serving the God who, who parted the, the river, who took down the walls, who brought us into our promised land. And here's what I want to challenge you. We're still in the first month of the year, so we're still in that resolution season. Come on, somebody. Pre-decide right now, today, January 22nd, or whenever you're watching this online, that you're going to keep God first this year. Pre-decide. Like, pre-decide, I'm going to read my Bible and pray every day. Now, it's not about perfection, not about religion, but I'm going to see God each day. Pre-decide. If I'm in town on the weekend, I'm in church. If not, I'm going I'm to join online. Pre-decide. I'm going to forgive and not hold on to an offense. Pre-decide, I'm going to be kind to that coworker that annoys me. Come on, somebody. If they're here with you right now, just look straight ahead. <laughs> Pre-decide, I'm going to raise my children in the ways of God. Pre-decide, I'm going to put God first in my finances. Pre-decide, I'm going to join a community group. I'm going to make time for community. Pre-decide. A.W. Tozer says this, as God is exalted to the right place in our lives, a thousand problems are solved all at once. So surrender. Here's the second way we worship God. is through praise and adoration. Praise and adoration. The third largest book when it comes to words in the Bible, and the, and the book of the Bible with the most chapters is the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is a book of songs. <laughs> if you ever wonder, why do we sing in church? Because we're going to see God likes it a lot when you sing. God likes it a lot when you praise. And there are actually seven, the word praise occurs a lot in the book of Psalms. But it's actually seven different Hebrew words that the Hebrew had more words than we have in our English dictionary. So there's seven different words that mean different things that is the word praise. I'm going to give you a few of those. Psalm 92.1 says this, It's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. That word for praise there is the word zamar. Where are my guitar players? You know what zamar means? It means to hit those strings. In the early church, music was a center of the worship. It doesn't mean hit the strings lightly. It means go ahead and strung that bad boy. Come on, somebody. Like Irvin and Christian were doing up here earlier. Come on. Give it up for our worship team. God likes it when you play some music. He likes it when we, when we string the guitar. Percussion and strings were a common part of the early church. Psalm 63.3. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. That's the word Shabbat. Do you know how they would say it in Hebrew? Shabbat! Because it means to shout for joy. I'm not going to be quiet. I shabbat you, God. It means you sing loud. It means we, we, we raise our voices. We don't just say, what a wonderful name it is. You have no rival. You have no rival. You shabak. You shabak. That's what he wants. He wants you to be sing loud. You know, sometimes in our Western culture, we think of traditional worship as quiet. 
But you know, real traditional worship, biblical worship is loud. Just read, read, do a study of the seven words for praise in Hebrew in the book of Psalms. Psalm 50, 23. But giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. Giving thanks there is the word kaudah. means to lift your hands. You know, two of the seven words for praise means to lift your hands. If you ever wonder why do we lift our hands, because God tells us to lift our hands. That's how he likes me. He likes me to lift our hands. I'm not going to hit all seven of these. I'm going to hit about five of them. But here's the next one, Psalm 35, 18. I will thank you in front of the great assembly. I will praise you before all the people. That word praise, this is written by David. David writes Psalm 35 to essentially communicate how he outwardly expresses the love for God in his heart. And that's the word hallel. That's where we get the word hallelujah. You know what hallel means? Hallel means to shout for joy, watch this, to act clamorously foolish. In fact, one translation is to act like a madman. If you know in the book of Chronicles, David danced. Come on, somebody knows this. He danced so hard, his clothes started to fall off. Don't dance that hard here, okay? <laughs> Do what you want at home, okay? If you're married, you can go ahead and dance with your spouse all day into night. Amen. <laughs> Christina, if you're watching this, we're going to dance later, baby, for the Lord. For the Lord. She's home right now. My son, uh, Judah, is sick. She's caring for him at home right now. Um, you know, it, it means to dance. It means to, to move your body. It means to act a little bit foolish. Now, listen, I want you to hear this right now. Um, so God says, I want, you, I want you to play music. I want you to shout and sing loudly. I, I want you to lift your hands. I want you to act a little foolish. Is there anywhere else in our culture you see that type of behavior? I saw some of that last night watching the football game. Come on, somebody. Some of you were shabakin last night at the TV. Some of you were halal last night over the game, right? Come on. I, I have at a football game. I, I was at the Commanders and Cowboys game uh, last few weeks ago uh, with Pastor Anu. Commanders won. I'm sorry, Pastor Anu. Come on. We didn't make the playoffs, but we beat the Cowboys. And there you go. That's all we need. But, hey, we're the, we're the, we're the most worked city in America. Come on. Woo! Uh, we probably got to fix that. Um, but, man, how many of you know I saw lots of Shabakin around me? I saw some grown men lose their voice. They Shabak so much. Listen, I'm not, I'm not throwing stones. I've Shabaked myself to lost my voice cheering for my Ravens. I've acted foolish before. And maybe you're like, well, yeah, you know, there's football fans. that crazy. Or maybe for you, it's not football. Maybe for you, have you ever seen it at a concert before? Now, now can I just submit this to you? Just, just please hear me out. I, this, and I say this gently. Why would we shabak and, and halal for a team that does not know us, but yet not do it for a God that has saved us. Why would we lose our minds at a game but come into church like this? And we watch people on stage. Shabbat. 
Hallel. Again, I don't say it's to condemn. I'm just saying, like, sometimes we think, well, Jeremy, the, you know, the singing part, that's just not for me. But my question for you is, do you, do you shabak when you watch your favorite team or your favorite artist? Why, why would we lift our hands for an artist that does not even know us, but yet not lift our hands and worship to a God that's rescued us? That we are called, listen, this is how God is saying, here's how I want to be loved. This is God's love language. <laughs> so uh, I love what, what Graham Truscott says. When God's people begin to praise and worship him using biblical methods he gives, the power of his presence comes upon his people in a greater measure. So I'm going to commission you right now. Ready to receive this? Write this down. You have a new role in life. You are commissioned as a part of Catalyst Church's worship team, starting immediately. Come on, somebody. Now, listen, you might not be up here on stage because some of you shabak, but you just don't shabak real good. You know? That includes myself. <laughs> but shabak from your seat. So come on, I'm not, listen, please hear this. I know I'm having some fun, but I'm not telling you, and listen, here's my challenge to you is take a step. I'm not saying you got to get in the aisles and dance right to, you know, next Sunday, but I am saying this, maybe for you, you've had your hands folded when you come to church or your hands in your pocket. Maybe try to lift them and see what happens. Maybe instead of just watching the worship team sing, sing with them. And hear this, I'm not saying this for the worship team. I'm saying this first and foremost because God is worthy of all praise and honor. But listen, listen. I'm also saying secondly because the Bible at several points says the same truth, that God inhabits the praises of his people. The fullness of joy is found in his presence. I'm saying this for you too because it does something for your spirit. Can I just pastor you for an additional moment? It's come to church early. Now, I know, listen, it can be hard to get the kids out of, out of the house, or it can be, maybe you worked a night shift. But listen, do not miss the first section of our service. Even if you're like a person that's like, man, I just, I, I just come for the message. No, man, come to Shabbat and Samar and Hallel. Come and, and worship God. I'm telling you, you will be glad you did. But don't just leave it here. Let me say this one last thing, then we're going we're gonna to move on to... Is, is don't just worship and praise God on Sunday. It's take your worship into your Monday. So put on some worship music when you're at home. Like, hey, parents, let me ask you this question. Have your kids seen you worship? Maybe they've seen dad yell at his favorite football team or yell at those refs who can't see. Come on, somebody. But have they seen their dad passionately worship the God? I'm telling you, they pick up. More is caught than taught. But more importantly for them, you do it for you. Hey, you, you, you shabak on your way to work in the car. You shabak while you're getting ready. You shabak while you are, are cooking dinner. Psalm 34.1 says, I will praise the Lord at all times, not just Sunday. I will constantly speak his praises. That word there is for praise is the word tequila. Yes, it does sound like tequila. And it's something that people sometimes do if they have too much tequila. It means exuberant singing. <laughs> it, 
It, it, means, it means passionate singing. But listen, it means passionate singing in adoration for God and God alone. So we praise God for what he's done. We, we adore him for who he is. So if you're like, well, man, nothing great's happening, we still praise God because of who he is. So we tehila him because he's worthy. Romans 1, the Apostle Paul, he is offering some correction to the, to the Roman church. You know, he said in verse 21, I know, team, you don't have this. I added this late. But he says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts dark, darkened. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who's forever praised. What happened was they began to center their life, worship the gift, not the gift giver. The created things, not the creator. You know, around Christmas, we, we visited some family, probably like many of you, and my kids, when they would open up a gift sometimes, especially like if it was Legos, they love Legos, they'd open the gift and they'd start diving right in, building whatever it was. And I would stop them before they got into the, the heart of it. And I would say, hey, hey, hold on, hold on. Go and thank your grandparents. Because they get so caught up in the gift, they would forget to thank the gift giver. How many of the same can happen to us? You've been praying for that promotion, but now you've got that promotion, can I just say how I feel it, and you act like you forgot who gave you the promotion. <laughs> that, that you've been praying for that relationship, now you got that relationship, and now you're choosing that relationship over, over him. That that happens to all of us. I, I'm with you, so please, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself. That we can get distracted, get so caught up with the gifts. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. But man, our worship should be only focused on the gift giver. Habakkuk 3. I love this scripture. I'll give some context. Habakkuk is in Judah. And Judah's culture was agrarian. So they, their, their economy ran off of um, agriculture. Here's what he says. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine. Though the olive crop fall, fails, and the fields produce no fruit. Though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. I love this. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. He says, in other words, even though my life is not going well, <laughs> things aren't going well, I'm still going to rejoice in God. You know, uh, you probably have seen this before. Again, I want not to reference back for all you Cowboy fans. I'm sorry, but I mean, you are in the playoffs, but um, the, uh, at least for now. Okay. Maybe not tomorrow, but moving on. Sorry. Uh, spiritual. Um, and I've seen this many times is the commander game that they handled the Cowboys pretty well. And some of the fans, the Cowboy fans started to leave a little bit early, right? They're like, okay, the game's over. Like the beginning of fourth quarter. Um, and Pastor knew that you were faithful. You're, you're a man of integrity. You stayed to the end. Um, 
But and I'm not throwing, throwing any shade because I've done that. I've left the stadium early because my team was losing. But I, I had this thought this week. I'm like, man, I really, you kind of feel bad for the team if they make a comeback, right? Because they got nobody to cheer for them. <laughs> like, because everybody, they left. What happened? Is, is fans allow their disappointment to cause them to withhold their praise? And can I say what I've been, I've been guilty of personally? I have allowed my disappointment in life to cause me to withhold my praise of God. And, and here's what Habakkuk says, that God, even though, man, the economy is in a rough place, even though I don't have any money, things are not looking good, yet I rejoice in you. I worship you. God, you are worthy all of our praise. That's why songs that we ended with today is so powerful. All hail King Jesus. What a beautiful name. You have no rival. You have no equal. You are the name above every name. God, even if I have nothing to thank you for, I have everything I need to praise you. Because you have given breath in my lungs. You have saved my soul. You have forgiven me of my sin. I will not have to taste eternal death. I will have eternal life. Nothing because of what I earned. I do not deserve it, yet you willingly give it. He's worthy of all praise. So don't get it twisted if you walk into church and you see somebody praising and worshiping God passionately. They actually may be walking through the worst season of their life. But they have caught to Helah. That he's worthy. He is worthy and he alone is worthy. That's adoration. It's praise and adoration. Here's the last point. So we have surrender, praise, and adoration. And lastly is sacrifice. Romans 12.1, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Watch this. This is your true and proper worship. That word proper means reasonable. So Paul is, is reasoning with the Romans because Greco-Roman culture was a, a culture that elevated rationale. So he's saying it's actually reasonable that you would lay your life down for Christ because in view of his mercy, like, in other words, like, you deserve eternal death, but yet God forgave you anyway. And, you know, Paul was, was very direct, and, and he's just kind of saying, listen, like, this is a reasonable response from you, is to lay down your life for God. Jesus said it this way, take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me. That we as followers of Jesus are called to live our life as a living sacrifice. That we're called to take up our cross and to follow him. That we are called, listen, worship is not just the songs that we sing. Worship is how, the, how we live our life. He's saying you can actually worship God with all of your life. Do you know you can worship God tomorrow at work when you do it unto him? You can worship him while you parent. You can worship him while you do the dishes. You can worship him while you work on your budget. You can worship him while you love the people in your life. We worship when we are living according to his word. Worship in spirit and in truth. Psalm 102 says this, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful song. That word worship right there literally can be also translated serve the Lord with gladness or work for the Lord with gladness. Here's what, what David was writing here. That, 
I'm kind of putting it in more modern terminology, that the songs that we sing on Sunday should be reflected in the way that we work on Monday. Do you know that you can actually worship God while you work? Be careful, don't get it twisted. Don't worship your work. Work is a method. It is a tool in which we use to worship. Remember when I first started as a psychologist, uh, several years in, I worked in an alternative school for children, or not children, students, high school, middle school, who were expelled from their school they were assigned to because they had committed a felony uh, or a significant misdemeanor. Uh, In fact, it was the favorite place I'd ever worked as a psychologist. I I really enjoyed it. Um, But there was a guidance counselor there who... When I, when I met her, she was probably, even in all of my years of working as a psychologist, probably one of the most kind, gentle, caring, and excellent like professionals I had worked alongside as a psychologist. And so I saw all this, the way she cared for the students, the way she cared for her coworkers. I mean, it was like the joy was all over her. And it was after months into working there, I found out she was a Christian. And she would tell me how she, what her pastor was preached on on Sunday. I know you all do that on Monday, too. You know, I know you, you know. No, but she, uh, so we, we built this relationship, and, and we worked alongside together helping these students. And, but, you know, before I even knew she worshiped on Sunday, I knew she worshiped God by the way she worked on Monday. Because she worked, she worked with excellence. She worked with joy. She wasn't, she wasn't real negative like some of the other staff there. Um, if you worked with me there, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about those other people if you're watching online. She, wasn't, uh, she was kind. She was, she was excellent at what she did. And I want to encourage you that you can worship God while you work this week. When you teach those children as unto God, that can be worship. When you care for your staff as unto God, that's worship. When you're doing that research as unto God, that's worship. When you are, come on parents, bathing those kids, feeding those kids as unto God, it's worship. When you're doing your classwork, student, as unto God, it is worship. Let your worship on Sunday be reflected in your life on Monday. Colossians 3.17, Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He says we worship God with our words, but we also worship God in how we live with our deeds. I love how Richard Foster put it. He says, as worship begins in holy expectancy, it ends in holy obedience. Holy obedience saves worship from, a cu- from becoming an opiate and escape from the pressing need of modern life. In other words, that how we worship on Sunday should impact how we live on Monday. You know, one of our values here at the church, that Monday is our mission. Here's what we mean, that we want our powerful and joyful and worship-filled Sundays. We don't want to be Sunday Christians that we want it to be reflected in the way that we love and live and work on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not just on Sunday. So when we live with integrity, it's worship. When we live generously, it's worship. When we learn to overlook an offense, it's worship. 
When we share our faith, it's worship. When we serve our spouse, it's worship. When we honor our boss, it's worship. You know, I remember um, when I was in college, I was an orientation aide, and they, they trained us when they transmitted me an orientation aid, so I oriented new students into the college. Showed them around campus and taught some classes for them to get to know what was happening in the college. And, but they trained us. They said, listen, you are not just an orientation aide, or you're not just representing the college when you have your yellow shirt on. Because we have these yellow, bright yellow shirts uh, that we wore when we were sort of acting as an orientation aide. Here's what they said. They said, we have an expectation. We have some expectations for how you're going to behave and operate and live on this campus, even when that shirt's not on your back. And here's what the scripture's reminding us, that, man, God wants us to give him lots of praise and adoration on Sundays. This is important. The church has done this since day one, gathered to worship. But so that it would then in turn reflect in our life throughout the week. My final scripture, Matthew 12, 30. Jesus said this. This kind of embodies worship. It's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Makes me think of this, you know, what we just talked about. He says, love the Lord with your heart and soul. That means like your, your, your mind, will, and emotions. Like your heart and soul, your affection. That sounds a lot like praise and praise and adoration. Love the Lord with your mind. Predecide to put God first. Surrender. Love the Lord with your strength. Sounds a lot like sacrifice. So I'm going to offer my life as a living sacrifice. It is holy and pleasing. It is proper and reasonable act of worship. I submit to you, church. You were, I have been, we have been created to worship. It's not a moment. It's a lifestyle. Can you pray with me? Bow your heads where you are.